welcome you guys to our third week of our seven sayings of Jesus on the cross series. And for those of you who, who have been out for a little while or those of you who have missed one or two, remember for the next seven weeks we're looking at the cross. So Christ is hanging on the cross, dying, being kicked out of his family and we are being welcomed into that same family. He is being kicked out of that family so that we can be welcomed in. It is a scandalous, wonderful trade. Um, but before we get into that trade, we need, we need to talk for a second about something. We need to talk about the fact that he actually said things on the cross. We need to talk about that for a second. Um, the fact that Jesus said things while hanging on the cross. Because we get it wrong in our minds a lot. We always like to think that um, we picture that he, he's up on the cross, and when he says things, he's just talking like I'm up here just talking. He would just say these things to, to Mary or to the thief or, or to all these different people. And we just kind of picture that he says them. And, and before we can appreciate the fact that, that he said these things, we have to begin to understand the amount of effort it took to actually say them. Okay? When, in ancient times, when someone was put on a cross, like you picture in Christmas plays and stuff, when people are on the cross, like they'll just kind of be standing there. You know what I mean? On the, and, that, and that's fine and good for what it is, but in ancient times, that's not what happened. Um, in ancient times, when someone was nailed to the cross, so we'll start at the bottom and work our way to the top. Um, when someone was nailed to the cross, they, they, they first had to cross their feet over each other like this. Okay? And then a nail was driven through the middle of their feet, just pinning them together to the cross. Okay? And this is in the middle of your foot. So when the nail goes through the middle of your foot, it severs what's called a plantar nerve. You, you plant your foot, there's a nerve, it's called the plantar nerve. There's the science, okay? Um, and the nail goes through this, piercing this nerve. Now remember, nerves are the things that your brain sends, to your, your brain sends these messages to nerves in your body where when you touch something and it's hot or it's cold or it's soft or it's hard, you know that because the brain is sending messages to these nerves. Think about have you ever heard about someone who has a pinched nerve in their back? It's, it's this terrible pain. And so Jesus, like everyone else, being fully man, he has this nerve in his foot. And when, that, when the nail severs that nerve, the brain cannot send the message to that foot anymore. Okay? Follow me? So what, what Jesus was experiencing from the waist down was this kind of fluctuation between total numbness in his feet and legs followed by excruciating pain. Back, back to complete numbness followed by excruciating pain over and over because the nerve is broken. So the brain and the nerve are not working together. Sometimes the message gets through where the shooting pain and sometimes the message doesn't. And there's the numbness. Okay, So that's what's going on um, Who's bottom half? Now let's go up top. Now think about it. He's hanging from the cross, okay? When we picture someone being nailed to the cross, a lot of times they get nailed by their palms to the cross. It's not like that. And here's the reason it's not. Because when you're nailed to the cross, think about it, you're hanging by your hands. The bones in your hand are not thick enough to hold up your body weight. So over time, as you hang, it's just going to rip off. And the Romans discovered this. And so what they would do instead is they would put nails through your wrist, through the middle of your arm. Because the, the bones in your arm are thick enough to hold up your weight as you hang. Okay? You see that? So this is what's being done to Jesus. And now, here's the thing. While he's hanging up there, think about it. As, he, as gravity continues to push him down, as he continues to hang, what begins to happen? His shoulders and his wrists begin to pop out of socket as they begin to slip down. So... In order to prevent that, 
What does he have to do? He has to push up on his feet where the nail has severed his nerves and where the wrists have been severed and, where, and he begins to push and pull up using this part of his arm. This pushing up, this pulling up, just to, just to draw breath, just to prevent these from popping out of socket. This pulling up, this pushing up is the most excruciating part of the cross physically. This is the most painful part, okay? The harder you have to work for something, the more valuable it becomes, okay? And now, Christ has to work for every breath. He has to pull up on this and push up on this nerve for every breath. Every breath is now valuable. Every breath now takes work. Every breath is precious, which makes his words even more precious. So none of these seven things on the cross that Jesus, he was just there and he just thought that he would say this and, and it wasn't flippant. It wasn't just meaningless. These words, now kind of put yourself there, these words are now the most important, most difficult things to do in his life. You see that? His life is on the cross now. So the, getting these words out, getting up to get these words out is the hardest thing to do in his life now, okay? These words have incredible value, which means that if he had to work so hard to, to say them, they must be important. And one of these phrases, one of these precious sentences he uses on his mother. And, and in this one, we see Christ's humanity and we see Christ's divinity. We see his human love for his mother and his divine love for her. Turn to John 19, verse 25. John 19, verse 25. Leaders kind of be looking around if anybody's having trouble um, figuring out where that is. And if you don't know where it is, just point them to the table of contents. And that, that works out for everybody. So John 19, 25. And, and again, Christ is on the cross. And we're going to kind of set the scene for a second. And then we'll talk about um, from Mary's perspective, his mother. So John 19, 25. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross, so by the cross, right there. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, Mary, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. So let's, let's talk about Mary first. So Jesus, again, Jesus is on the cross in this moment. The world is ending, and Mary, his mother, instead of retreating from the horror, she's right there at ground zero, at the foot of the cross. How, What's going on in Mary's mind? What's going on in, in Mary's heart? Well, how, does she, how does she deal with this? Let's turn over to Luke 2, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit. We'll get a closer look at Mary so that we can understand how she's dealing with this. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And this is the Christmas story. So you guys, you guys are familiar with this. The shepherds are watching their flocks by night, okay? Shepherds are watching their flock. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Now this is all about Jesus, Mary's son. 
For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So these shepherds are watching their flocks in the middle of the night, blue-collar guys, and all of a sudden thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who are bright and shining, who are on fire, are singing praises to Jesus, this, this baby. And so they travel to find him. You guys know the story. They find Jesus, and they go begin to talk to him and, and, and talk to him as a baby and worship him. And, and Mary and Joseph are obviously there. So look at verse 17, Luke two seventeen. So now the shepherds are there. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, and here it is, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. I love, I love that. I love that phrase. That is so human. Mary treasured these things. She valued these things that were being said about her son. And she began to think through them in her heart. That is when someone talks about a child, that is exactly what a mother would do. That is exactly what a woman would do. Women, they, they think things through so much more. And you'll see this as you get older. They think things through so much more. They process things so much differently. Not better or worse, but just differently in a way that, that men don't understand and, the, and that women, be, they have their own way of processing. Um, so what was Mary thinking at the cross. Let's flash forward. What is Mary thinking at the cross now? How is she processing these things at the cross? Well, it was agony. It was pure agony. What was happening in her heart at the cross? The Bible actually tells us. You're already in Luke 2, so look at Luke 2, verse 34 to 35. A prophet named Simeon comes to talk to Mary and Joseph about Jesus. Luke 2, 34 to 35. And Simeon blessed the family and said to Mary, Christ's mother, Behold, so this is all to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. Now this is it. So, so Simeon is looking at Mary when he says this. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Flash forward from Simeon, and now Mary is on the cross. The sword that Simeon spoke of was piercing her heart as she watched her firstborn son, her miracle child, and now her Savior die. Listen to John MacArthur's words on this. She had reared Jesus from childhood. She knew his perfection better than anyone. And yet as she watched, crowds of people poured contempt on her son, Cruelly mocking and abusing him, his bleeding, emaciated body hung helplessly on the cross, and all she could do was watch his agony. The sorrow and pain such a sight would cause his mother is unfathomable. It means we cannot comprehend it. And yet, instead of shrieking and crumpling in hysteria, instead of turning and fleeing in terror or falling into a faint at the horrible sight, she stood. I, uh, I got food poisoning several months ago, um, one night at dinner, and so I came home, and, and I was up all night. I must have thrown up nine or ten times, and, and it was one of those where, 
you're just you're throwing up and you don't even get up to go back to bed because you know it's just going to make you sick again. And so you just kind of grit it through the night sitting in the bathroom. And, and I live at my parents' house. I live with my mom and dad. And so I w- my dad was at a, at a coach's clinic in, uh, in Tennessee at the time, so it was just me and my mom. And, and my mom is in her 50s now, and, and she stayed up with me and sat in the hallway next to the restroom all night with me while I was up. And, and at one point in the night, I was just kind of leaning against the, the bathtub, um, just feeling sick. And, and she was in the hallway, and we were looking at each other. And I'm 26 years old, and I told her, I said, I know you did this for me when I was young, but I guess you probably didn't expect to still be doing it for me when I was 26. And, uh, and she looked at me, and she said, I'm a mom. This is what we do. The, the cross was a joke to the Roman people, Remember? The cross was a joke, but not to Mary. The cross was a horrible thing. Her soul is being ripped in half here. And Jesus, being the great comforter that he is, sees her. And in his agony, he raises himself up, spending precious final breaths to comfort his mother. And he says, Woman, behold your son. And then he looks at the disciple and says, Behold your mother. Let's take that piece by piece and, and we'll walk through it and then we'll be done. Um, the first thing he says, to, he says to Mary is woman. Okay, And there's a lot of controversy around this word. A lot of people in today's climate, you can't say that to somebody. It's, it's very offensive, and that, and that makes sense. But so you look at it in Jesus' day, and so you kind of wonder, is he being disrespectful? Is he being rude? Is he not being rude? What's he trying to do? Well, the Bible, in the Bible, Jesus uses this different times. And, and if we look at the other times he uses it, it gives us a better picture. So take your Bibles and flip back to, to, um, to John chapter 2, verse 3. And this is the first time we see Jesus use the word woman. John chapter 2, verse 3. And to set the scene, this is the wedding at Cana. What is the wedding at Cana? This is where Jesus turns water into wine. Okay, It's his first miracle. All right? So here we go in verse 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus, so there's Mary. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does... That have to do with us. My hour has not yet come. Okay, so there it is. He calls her woman. And from this one instance, it's really hard for us to gauge. Is this rude? Does he feel rushed? Does he not feel rushed? What's going on? How do we understand how he's feeling here? This verse isn't enough. But he uses it one other time on one other person. So, you're in John 2. Flip over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and we'll be in verse 10. John 8, 10. And this is the woman caught in adultery, okay? This is the woman who's been caught in adultery. And we'll look at her story a little bit closer in just a second here. So John 8, 10, here we go. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go and sin no more. So, So, we have to talk about this for a second. This woman has been caught in adultery. The Bible says, 
in the very act. And some of you guys are familiar with this already, but the Bible says in the very act of adultery. Adultery means when you're with someone who is not your spouse. And she is caught in the very act, which means that at this point in time, she probably has little to no clothing on, okay? But Jesus is in the synagogue when she's brought before him. Well, she wasn't caught in the synagogue. We have no record saying that, which means that she was caught in this act somewhere else and dragged through town, literally dragged through town in little to no clothing by these men who didn't care anything about her. And then she's brought to the church, to the synagogue. She's brought to church and thrown before the people in the church before Jesus. And what does Jesus call her? Woman. Well, is this rude or is this not? So you got the woman in adultery and he calls her woman. Who's the only other person in Scripture that, Mary call, that Jesus calls woman? Mary, his mother. By calling her woman, Jesus is taking this awful person and, and you know, don't... Adultery destroys families. Jesus is taking this awful person and at the same time he's taking this humiliated, broken girl and he's giving her the highest honor by calling her woman. You see, by calling her something he would only call his own mother, he is treating her as if she is part of his family. He's giving her her dignity back. The highest honor for the woman caught in adultery by calling her woman. So go back to the cross now, or go forward to the cross. Jesus is not being rude to Mary here when he says woman. This is a kind word. And you got to remember as well, we talked about it in week one. John 15, 13 says, The greatest act of love is this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. This is what Jesus is doing on the cross. So Jesus is in the middle of the greatest act of love. It doesn't make sense for him to be rude to someone during his greatest act of love. You could even argue that it's impossible to be rude to someone during the greatest act of love. But we got to think about this too, and this is something that I didn't catch until I studied this. He's also protecting her by calling her woman. Think about it. It's Passover week. This place is packed with thousands of people. The whole crowd, remember, they're riling each other up. They're hating Jesus. And there are soldiers there to be sure that nobody in the crowd gets any ideas. If Jesus yells out, woman, he could be talking to anybody. And nobody knows and nobody cares. But if Jesus looks in a certain direction, and all these people are looking at Jesus, and if he looks in a certain direction and yells, Mother, where is everybody going to look? They're all going to look over here. And, and who knows what could happen once they do that. You see that? Writhing in agony on the cross, Jesus is thinking of his mother's protection all the way through. And he says to her, Woman, behold your son. Okay? He says, Woman, behold your son. And you remember, so now behold your son. Who, who is this person that he says, behold your son? They said it was the disciple that Jesus loved. Who is this person? Well, when he says, behold your son, it's not one of Jesus' brothers. It's not one of Mary's other children. And the reason we know this is in John 7, 5. So flip over to John 7, 5. 
And again, this is why we know that this person that Jesus is referring to is not one of Jesus' brothers, is not one of the other children of Mary. Listen to John chapter 7, verse 4, and and then we'll get verse 5. For no one does anything in secret, but when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5. For not even his brothers were believing in him. None of Jesus' brothers believed in him at the time he was crucified. They knew he was a person, but they all thought that he was crazy. They all thought that he was not the Messiah. His own brothers did not believe in him. So it doesn't make sense for them to be there with Mary because they don't believe that this has any significance. He's crazy. He's being killed for making crazy claims. I don't want any part of it. And then, and you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, it tells us that Jesus, after being resurrected from the dead, before he goes to the disciples, he walks the earth for 40 days, appearing to different people. And one of those people was his brother James. You remember the book of James that we studied during beach camp, some of you. That's the same guy, the author. He is one of the brothers of Jesus, and he didn't believe in Jesus. What a meeting that must have been. So who is this guy? Who is the one that Jesus loved? It's the guy who wrote the book of John. It's John the Apostle, John the Disciple. The author of John's Gospel is the one, the disciple that Jesus loved. So Jesus looks at Mary and says, Woman, behold your son, looking at John. And then he says to John, Behold your mother. And from that day forward, John takes Mary into his house to protect her and to be with her and to live with her for the rest of Mary's life. Now, now did Jesus love John more than the rest of his disciples? No, that's not what that means. But Jesus and John did have a very special relationship. Um, John saw Jesus at the transfiguration. He was one of only three disciples to see Jesus at the transfiguration. Listen to Matthew 17, 1. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. There, Jesus was transformed before them. His face shone like the sun, and his garments were like light. So this incredible transformation, this incredible transfiguration happens to Jesus, and only Peter, James, and John were there for it. In another instance, John, so, so, so in this instance, John is front row to see that Jesus is in fact God. When people would say, well, how do you know that he's really God? John is one of only three people who could say, listen to what I saw on the, on the mountain. Listen to what I saw when he took us up on the mountain. John knows firsthand that Jesus is God. John saw, John saw Jesus bring a dead girl back to life. Listen to Mark 5, 37. And Jesus, and this is important, Jesus allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. So he allowed no one else to come with him, which means that people wanted to come see this. And Jesus specifically said, no, you cannot come with me. Only Peter and James and John are to come with me. So they go into the room where this girl is dead, and Jesus brings this girl back to life. So John has firsthand access to seeing that Jesus is Lord over death. He's seen firsthand that he is God. He's seen firsthand that Jesus is Lord over death. And the last one, in Jesus' darkest hour, other than the cross, Jesus' darkest hour, other than the cross, was the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is praying and, and so anxious and nervous and distressed that he is sweating blood. 
And, and, and his soul is just turning over with him. This is the darkest moment of Jesus' life up to that point. And the only people who are with him are Peter, James, and John. Listen to Mark 14, 33 to 34. And Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. And he began to be very distressed and troubled. And Jesus said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here with me and keep watch. So the deepest part of his emotion, the deepest part of Jesus' emotion, John had access to. John had access, and here it is, John had access to the deepest, darkest part of Jesus' life other than the cross. And at the cross, the darkest moment of his life, who is the only disciple left with him? John. John is the only one left to see this. Woman, behold your son. Jesus is giving Mary a new son. Not just one who saw Jesus like a brother, but one who saw Jesus as Savior. And John, and, and, and here it is, because that doesn't sound like a fair trade. In, in, a, in a culture where family was so important, giving him someone, giving her someone that is not blood related doesn't seem like a fair trade because you, he, she's losing someone who's blood related. Doesn't seem fair. But John will be the closest son that Mary has ever had. And I don't mean that symbolically. I don't mean that symbolically. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. And this is Jesus. While he was speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers, so there it is, there's Mary, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak with him. So these are his blood relatives wanting to speak with him. Someone said to Jesus, behold, your mother and brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, John is one of Jesus' disciples. He said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. Here it is. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Listen to verse 50 again. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, look at me. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother is my sister. Jesus does not mean this symbolically. He doesn't mean that if you do the will of his father, you will be like his brother, or you will be like his sister. No. Yeah, I want you to see it. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. So Jesus is about to show us that there is a deeper relationship than family ties. And in a culture that was so dependent on family, this is unbelievably revolutionary. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit says Jesus is accursed. Here it is. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, anybody can say Jesus is Lord. 
but to make him Lord of your life. To put him, the Bible is crystal clear here, to put Jesus at the front of your life is impossible without having the Holy Spirit. Putting Jesus as Lord of your life is impossible without the Holy Spirit. The Bible makes this clear. But the Bible also makes it clear in that verse that if you do put Jesus as Lord of your life, if you do put Him at the front of your life, you did so because the Holy Spirit was in you. You did this because you have the Holy Spirit. You did this because Christ's blood is in your veins. When we place our trust in Christ, you will then be placed, you are then placed into a new family. You are literally placed into a new family, a deeper family, the family of God. He who does the will of my Father is my brother and my sister and mother. Those who follow Jesus are closer in relation than any worldly family could ever be. And John and Mary are both followers of Jesus. Follow this. Jesus is in Mary's family by her blood. She was born, he was born through her. Jesus is in Mary's family by Mary's blood. But John is now in Mary's family by Jesus' blood on the cross. In Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, he is covering our sins with his blood. He is, but not just that, he is, he is bringing us into a new family. He is making us into a holy priesthood, literally. He is making us literally into a new nation. You are moved into a new nation. Out of America, out of Saudi Arabia, out of South Africa and into a new nation. Literally. This is not symbolic. In John, Jesus is giving Mary a closer son than she's ever had. Thanks to the cross, Mary has lost one biological son and gained billions. Let's look at Acts chapter 1 and we'll be finished. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. This is the last time we see Mary in the Bible. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Now pay attention or else you'll miss it. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. So they're praying, okay? These all with one mind were continually over and over again, devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. She was devoting herself to prayer. I've heard stories about in in America when a soldier dies in battle, they bring his mother the, the folded flag. You know what I'm talking about? They bring to his mother the folded flag, and, that, and that's an amazing thing. Um, but I've heard stories about mothers who, who reject it. They, they don't want to take it. And I'm not at all trying to be disrespectful to, to the military at all, but, that, but I, I, I get that. I get that. I, I can't even begin to imagine what it must be like to lose a child in combat. 
And now, by taking this flag, you're kind of being asked to endorse this cause that, that, that took your boy away. I can't fathom what it's like to die for your country, but I also can't fathom what it's like to lose a son who has died for that same thing. But Jesus died serving God. And now in Acts chapter 14, I mean Acts chapter 1, what is Mary doing? She's praying to God. She's supporting the cause that got her son killed, that took her boy away. Why? Why would she do this? What happened to her? Same thing that happened to the thief. On the cross, in, in an instant, Mary's heart changed. And, and on the cross, instead of seeing her son, Mary saw herself. Or at least what she deserved. Because of a guilt that was much deeper than any grief she was feeling. Think about the grief she was feeling. And she saw herself on the cross because of a guilt that was far deeper than any grief she was feeling. And in that moment, she saw Jesus no longer as a murdered son, but as a Savior in her place. Taking her punishment, bearing her shame, being kicked out of His eternal family so that she could be welcomed in. John wasn't the only one who got a new family that day. The cross was a horrible thing to Mary. And now, praying in that room months later, it's beautiful. Because she's been saved from it by her son and welcomed into the family of God. 